P-U-X world. P-U-X world. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Nearly went twice there. Yeah, let's go again. Give it an encore. <laughs> let's do it. Hello. Hello, hello, everybody. How's it going? Hi there. Hi, Kane. Hey, Dustin. Hi, everyone. Hello. How's things, Dustin? Do going all right. How about you, Kane? Yeah, all right. Lockdown 3.0, broadcasting live still from the isolation, incubation, ideation, broadcasting station to the nation. Um, yeah, starting to crack up a little bit, going a little bit stir-crazy. Can't see the end in sight, but other than that, loving it. <laughs> <laughs> and Nico, yeah. how's everything going with you? Just checking. Let's just, Dustin, can you say something? I just want to check Nico, Nico's hearing you. Yeah, can you hear me, Nico? No, I, I'm not actually. I'm not hearing anything. Oh, you're not hearing Dustin. Are you hearing me? Uh, yes. You're hearing and me. you're hearing me, Kane. I'm hearing you. That's uh, okay. I'm not Something saying anything interesting. Something is deeply wrong. <laughs> right, okay. Let me, let me try this. Hold on. Give me a sec. I can hear you, Kane. Hey, can you hear me? Oh, brilliant. It was working. Can right, you hear Dustin? Yes, yes, both. Okay. Right, fantastic. Okay, now we're rolling. Now we're ready to rumble. Thank you for uh, for joining us, everybody, and thank you for joining us, Nico. Um, pleasure to have you on. Uh, let's kick off. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about uh, Otto? Absolutely. Um, Say myself first. Um, so Nico, French citizen, has been living in. Switzerland, mostly in Switzerland for the past 15 years now, on and off because I've lived in a number of places uh, from the steppes of Mongolia to the Kalahari Desert and the east and west coast in the US. Um, I'm an engineer by training. Um, I've, I, I got educated or trained in building robots in, in real-time systems, um, which I think is, is really interesting. But quickly thereafter, I realized that it's not really, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I didn't want to only build things. I wanted to understand things. Um, and that drew me to uh, fundamental science. So I got into the science of interactions uh, between humans, between individuals, between humans, uh, animals, humans and animals, and really modeling how this goes. Um, what, I'm, what I'm really interested in, I think, is, is what motivates us to do the things we do. We, uh, everything we do, the decisions we make, they're socially motivated. There's, there are two things. There, there's the social network of interactions, the structure and dynamics of the network. So if, if, you're, if you're my friend, for example, I'm more likely to believe you or go with you to a restaurant. Um, and so this, these are the things that I did for a long time, basically studying social networks. Um, the thing that I couldn't do when it was like 10, 12 years ago when I was doing my, uh, studying for my PhD was actually studying the, the microscopic um, or short term interactions between people and especially voice interactions because basically if I make a decision now, um, if you tell me a story and I believe it, it's going to have to do with uh, what you say and, and of course how you say it. So this is something that, is, that I find deeply interesting and fascinating to explain how we behave, 
how we think about things, how we form opinions. Um, and, uh, and that's been sort of the, the, the guiding uh, thread for my work and research for the past maybe 15 years now. So fast forward um, a few years after doing, uh, sort of stopping doing research, um, I was, uh, so I was in data science and, and machine learning AI uh, which is really my my, my core focus. Um, working with a company called Hyperloop, Hyperloop Transportation Technologies, um, and leading the, their AI team. So really a super interesting project, um, which which um, drew me to California, where I met um, accidentally, incidentally, um, um, my co-founder, Theo Borschberg, who who's then was a, an entrepreneur in residence at the Stanford Research Institute, so SRI International, out of Menlo Park. And he told me, hey, look, I have this really cool uh, technology which allows, to, uh, which allows the extraction of emotions from the, voice in, from the voice of a person in real time. And I want to build something on top, on, on top of that technology. Um, and actually, I think he said, and I want to do it with you. Um, and so I had to give it a hard thought for a few days because, you know, I was working on something really interesting, but that uh, had the potential to be even more interesting. And, and I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And, and thus, in um, uh, the spring of 2017, uh, we decided to build Otto. Um, before you ask the name, um, so before you ask what, what the name means, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> it means nothing. Uh, <laughs> It means nothing. Actually, it was a name that uh, Theo was, uh, was looking for, something that should be easy to say. Um, little did we know, though, that one of our first employees had a wife who was from Japan. And I'm, uh, it sounds like I'm digressing, but I'm not. Because one day he said, um, he was leading the, our AI efforts then, he was leading, hey guys, Otto, the name, it's such a good idea, right? Um, like, how did you know? And we said, what do you mean? How did we know? We didn't know anything. Turns out, Oto, no, Oto, I think, if I say right, means sound in Japanese. And Oto, wow. as, a, as a company, as, a, as an endeavor, as an enterprise, we focus on extracting meaning from sound. Um, so there's a name, wow. even though in the beginning it wasn't for that. How was that for serendipity? Uh. <laughs> Interesting. So, so tell us then what what Otto does. When you say you extract meaning from sound, what does what does that mean, and how does it transpire? Well, <clears throat> you know it from interacting with your relative and family, and I'm going to say your partner, but from everyone. Often, it's not about what you say; is how you say it. And there's a large fraction of the meaning, the information that we get. So this, this, this social network of interactions, is, there's a large part of that, of the information that is not in the words, but really in the tone. If you go back to something we quote often, it's called the Merabian formula from Albert Merabian, so um, a behavioral psychologist at UCLA. Back in the 20th century, I think 70s, 60s, 70s, he did lots of experiments on how decisions are motivated and what are the, the different uh, factors um, and their respective ways in a, in a decision. And when it comes to affective decisions, so if I'm going, decisions that have to do with the affect of a person, if I'm going to believe you, if I'm going to like you, 
we've had no interaction before, but whether I'm going to like you, whether I'm going to buy what you're selling, um, that has a lot more to do with the intonation than the words themselves. And there's this, this formula which I like because it's very easy to remember, um, and it's the, the 738-55 rule. So when it comes to an effective decision, uh, 7% of the, the, the weight, 7% of that decision will have to do with the words, what he said, 38% with the how, the intonation, um, how it is said, and 55% with the body language. So right now, if you're watching the stream, you can see me, and you can hear me, and you can understand what I'm saying, but what you see uh, and what you perceive from my tone are much more important than what I'm saying. Um, and if you, if you, Restrict yourself, say, to a voice-only setting. Say, on the phone, we work with call centers extensively. On the phone, then the ratio becomes basically 2080. Um, and so far, speech analytics, speech to text, has mostly focused on taking an audio stream uh, in real time or offline, uh, running it through a speech to text system, so an ASR, automatic speech recognition system, and doing then analytics, so natural language processing, um, modeling on top of the words. But this is, this is very, um, it's, it's so lossy. There's a world of difference between uh, hey Kane and hey Kane, <laughs> and it would be it would be translated it would be transcribed as the exact same two words. But there's no way that you can transcribe uh, a hello, a greeting um, with one word. In the same way, laughter laughter is super important. It's something that we we convey to express uh, that we express to convey you know um, friendship to convey amusement to say hey. I'm part of the conversation. I'm having a good time now, as you are. And often, most ASR systems do not transcribe laughter. Those that do have a, a special token that's laughter. So basically, laughter becomes a word. But there's, there's nothing like, um, I don't know, timid laughter, booming laughter, nervous laughter, etc. So all of this is information that is, that is lost. So ASR, speech or text, is very lossy, you lose a ton of information. It is noisy, often it doesn't work. I mean, and, and it's, it's got to the point where it works quite well in, in some settings, very well in, in few settings, but not very well in many settings. So it's still imperfect and it's also expensive. It is computationally expensive because you have to stick a large language model on top of your signal processing front end. And basically, if you remove the language model, you remove much of the complexity, you still have a system that is quite capable in its own and it's sort of what we've built. So we've built a system that takes as input, like in a speech-to-text system, that takes as input a, a stream of audio, and then uh, dozens of times per second extracts lots of information, we call them features and properties of the audio, that translate into um, latent speaker states and properties of the speaker, how they feel at any point in time. So that, that's the base technology behind Otto. Wow. There's quite a lot in that. And one of the best examples of um, what you were saying there in terms of how something is said is more important than what is actually said. It always makes me think, because we've come across this, and a few people have mentioned that on the, on the podcast. And the best example of that is when, I don't know if you've seen the Friends episode. Do you watch, do you watch Friends, Dustin? Yeah, no. It's been a while. Nico? 
Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. Fair enough. Well, it's, it's <laughs> obviously etched in my brain. Um, there's a scene in Friends where they all go to watch Joey in a play, and the play is absolutely terrible. It's like the worst play that, they, that you've ever you could ever imagine. And afterwards, uh, Joey ends up having a conversation with somebody, and it turns out that they're an agent, and they ask if he wants to become an audition for another part. And Joey goes back over to the group, and he says, "Oh, I wouldn't. I've just been talking to an agent. They want me to audition." And Phoebe says, "Based on this play," and he <laughs> and he looks at her and says, "Yeah." And, and, and everyone looks at Phoebe as if to like, well, "Didn't you like it?" And then she turns around and says. <gasps> based on this play like that so she says the exact same words but totally flips the meaning just by expressing it differently which is uh, yeah it's one of my favourite things there's a few things I wanted to kind of dig into in, in, in that when you were saying that the um, auto is able to understand a lot more than uh, maybe it's a speech recognition system the NLU um Gina loves loves friends. So do I. So I must be on my own. But at least we're not on, on our own now. Uh, <laughs> um, one of the things that that um, that I, I was be interested in is if you can if you can understand various parts and various portions of incoming audio. What do you then? do with it or what can be done with it because you mentioned call centers you know if, you, if you're working in a call center um and you're, you're you're listening to the person talking you're able to see some kind of data about the way that they're speaking or whatever it might mm-hmm. be what kind of things does that allow a call center agent to be able to do it sounds as though they might have to think fairly quickly to be able to act on it is kind of what i, what I kind of want to get to but can you just describe some of the things that enable being able to understand the context or the sentiment or the emotion behind the audio, what does that actually enable a business or a brand to be able to do? Um, absolutely. So I'll tell you about the, the use cases that we had in the, in the call center space that we still have, but also then later that sort of the broader set of use cases that we've developed um, and, and realized we could uh, do after. Um, so we, we started by building a stack, a tech stack on top of that technology from SRI International um, and realized that then all of a sudden we, we could tell how people felt their energy from their voice. Um, the next question was, of course, so what do we apply this to? Um, we were not that clueless. We, we had the plan of, of deploying this into the call, in, in a call center environment. Um, and then we used it mostly for two things in the beginning. And the first one is tone coaching for call center agents. Um, we, what the first customer we had actually three years ago um, is called ACD Direct, and they have about a thousand uh, call center agents in the US. And these agents mostly receive calls, take inbound calls of people who want to make uh, donations to charities. Um, and the most important thing uh, is for these agents to sound good, to sound engaged and compassionate um, and energetic, etc. And that's something that you can't do with a, a, a normal system. Usually you have to have a, a human essentially listen to some of the conversations. It's quite expensive, of course, to implement. Um, and then give a score, a rating to the agent. Um, and, then, and then in their monthly review or something, um, they are being told, okay, well, you, you could try and sound a bit more, you know, uh, uh, energized, etc. Um, what we did is that we built a system in which agents can self-learn, so learn 
them by themselves how to sound good in a conversation. We've made it super simple. So in the, the back end is actually quite complicated because it was lots of streaming, lots of AI processing, etc. But the, the, the product itself is really simple. It's a small widget that lights up green. And so my tone, for example, now I'm working on it. My tone is really good, right? And uh, I'm modulating my voice, etc., so that it sounds enjoyable. Could, could I do this 10 hours a day? Not sure. Uh, so after a while, I would start, uh, would start sounding a bit more um, tired, obviously, and not super um, um, pleasant, basically, in the, in, the, in the conversation. And this is when the, uh, the widget would light up red and give kudos, like uh, encouragement, saying, hey, well, remember to watch your tone, smile when you, when you speak, etc., etc." Um, and this worked really well because, first, it was simple. It was very simple to use for the agents. Um, but also, they they didn't have the feeling that there was a, a big brother AI watching them. It was something that they could they could have on their on their computer, um, on their on their um, on their screen, um, and it was giving them personalized advice uh, to sound better. But there wasn't a manager in the in the loop, so that they could get better on their own. And that's something for which. Uh, we had quite a bit of success and it worked well. And we thought, okay, but if we have this, we can also apply it to the customer side of the conversation. And as you know, of course, customer experience is a, a very large market. Um, and it's very difficult to know often if an interaction has been positive or negative. Um, and that's why we have NPS, of course, that allows a brand to understand how happy or angry, satisfied or dissatisfied its, 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 its customers are. Um, however, there's no way to do this in real time often. Um, so what we built is a system based on the emotions, the, the tone of a, of a customer that um, measures and me measures the, the tone of the voice and predict how likely it is that this customer will be dissatisfied after the call. And we've trained that system with a, a large number of conversations associated with uh, satisfaction labels. So, you know, when you get a text message at the end of a, of a call with a hotline um, and he says on a scale from one to five, how satisfied are you? Um, so basically that, that's our training data. And we did this for hundreds of thousands of conversations and we, we got to build a, a pretty good picture of how someone sounds when they're not happy. Um, and that's information that right after the call basically would inject into our customer CRM uh, and say, well, uh, we think there's a high likelihood that this customer wasn't happy uh, so that they could be called back right away. So um, these are basically the the sort of the main use cases and variations around these use cases in the in the call center environment, and then two things happened. Uh, first, it was at the end of 2019, I think, we realized that the technology itself was um, was very novel and mature enough to be uh, to be deployed in other environments. Uh, so we, we decided to build DeepTone. DeepTone is the name of the of the technology and the platform. So we decided to build it as a platform, and at the same time. Uh, well, the world changed a little because the, the COVID uh, crisis started and call centers around the world shut down properly. Um, we, so we went to having some business with call centers to zero business at all. And that was in March 2020. Oh. Um, and we realized that we had to sort of broaden the, the, we wanted to do this anyway, so broaden the, the, the scope of use cases that we worked on. And that's why we, uh, we built, again, DeepTone as a platform. So if you go to our website, auto.ai, 
You'll see, you can try a demo uh, with your own voice. You can record your voice. You can upload a snippet. Um, and and it, it works with any voice, basically. And we and then we applied it to a number of uh, additional use cases outside of the call center industry. Do you want to know about these, or uh, should I stop yeah, we'll, digressing? We'll, we'll, go, we'll get there, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely explore that um, that that kind of future use cases uh in a minute but it's interesting i'm i'm, I'm wondering dustin whether i want to feed some of these podcasts through and see what my tone is like uh, i'm conscious now about how i'm talking <laughs> but yeah it's uh no it's interesting stuff did, uh, how did you find when you when you were kind of rolling i, I want to also before we get onto the other use cases i want i want to kind of uh talk a little bit more and drill down a little bit more into how it can be used in conjunction with other technologies perhaps to automate some of this interactions and stuff like that but how did you initially find that um when you when you implement this in on the call center to try and help coach agents in essentially how to you know i suppose be more um delightful on the call if you like um you said that they weren't they weren't as kind of you know um, what's the word trepidatious if you like because they didn't feel as though people were watching them but how how did how did they kind of respond to having something like that because I can imagine like for certain people it might feel a little bit kind of was it a little bit off putting like did you have to do some training and onboarding to kind of coach people through the fact that hey this isn't there listening to you and judging you it's there as a tool to help you and and the organization kind of be better like how, how was the initial kind of rollout for those kind of use cases um, we had remarkably little uh, coaching and training to do. Uh, I thought in the beginning, I thought, well, people are not going to like it. They will feel that, like they're being watched. So we, we, we designed the product, the, this tone coaching widget, in a way that it would be very unobtrusive. So it just sits in the, in the corner of an agent screen. Um, and we also made it very clear that their conversations were not being recorded on top of the normal recording that happens anyway. Um, and we were not actually uh, doing anything else than with the audio than simply measuring the, the energy in their turn and feeding it back to them. So it is a tool that they can use in order to get better um, but in no way is this a tool that that allows, uh, say, managers to spy on the on the agents. And even though it, it would be possible in theory to build sort of a, a real time uh, alert system if an agent has been uh, has sounded robotic for five minutes and maybe someone has to intervene or something like this. Um, even though that's something that we could have built, we never built it in because we wanted to keep it super simple and, and self-contained in a way that agents can use that again to. To, to have a sort of a sparring partner to improve their tone, except that is not something that is possible with a human because th they would have to sit next to you for hours on end. And that's what we made possible with that widget. And how much of this tone is cultural? I mean, how much, uh, how much does that play into it where maybe one tone in one culture has a different implication than in another? Or yeah. is it pretty global? Um, it... <laughs> It's a simple question with a complicated answer. It depends how you look at it. So <clears throat> the first, and I have to go into the technology a little. Um, the first thing we did was uh, use what we call so designed features, uh, like for example the pitch of uh, of a person's voice, and uh, and compute 
the, uh, the engagement score based on that. Quite quickly, we, we realized that there were differences between individuals. For example, uh, obviously, women have a higher pitch than men, so we had to correct for gender. But then we also had to correct for uh, language, and then we had to correct for accent, etc. Uh, and then we realized that it was be- becoming intractable. Uh, and so this is why we decided to create DeepTone. The first, um, the first version of the platform was called Sensei, uh, like a like a Sensei master, but A S A Y. Um, and so, and it was based on these design features. Um, but then we decided to build a platform that is end-to-end and that, that doesn't use design features, but learn features. It's, it's a big thing in deep learning. Um, you don't have to um, explicitly hand code what you're looking for in a signal. You can let the uh, system learn it by itself. So this is, this is what we call learn features. And the idea here is that if you feed it enough examples of people speaking, uh, in whichever tone, uh, but if these people represent a good chunk of the world's population, and it, then it will be men, it will be women, it will be young people, it will be old people, it will be people speaking in tons of languages with tons of accents. Uh, if you do this, then you build a good enough generic a representation of how someone sounds. And based on this, um, and if you train a model of, say, arousal or engagement emotions on this, and if, you're, if your base model, which we, which we call the identity model, if your base model is trained well enough, then you're not going to have this problem. And, and that's why our system now generalizes to, in theory, any language and any accent. In practice, there are some languages we haven't tested on. Interesting. It's um, that's interesting. That I, I, I'm I'm kind of wondering. I can I can see how um in in the UK use cases that you explained there around the contact center, there's some interesting applications of this um working. I would I would kind of say like um in its own kind of narrow uh, space, right? So an agent is talking. It's monitoring the the, the um, conversation or the tone of the conversation, rather. It can tell the the agent, you know, you can perk up a little bit, <laughs> cheer up, <laughs> um, and and then at the same time, uh, it can be used in in the call to then start trying to predict the the success rate, if you like, as far as customer experience is concerned within that call. I'm wondering whether um, have you any examples, or is it something that you're thinking of, or have you done it yet, whereby this data can be used um, in conjunction with some other technology to then be able to dynamically change an interaction. So rather than telling an agent, a live human, hey, now you need to kind of perk up a little bit, um, or, or after the fact saying to the contact center, hey, now you should call this customer back because they weren't very happy. Have you done any work whereby this technology is working in conjunction with like a conversational AI, for example, mm-hmm. who can, when the tone gets to a certain level, or it detects that the conversation isn't, the, the customer isn't a happy customer or whatever, it can use that data to then automate some of those responses. Is that something mm-hmm. that either happens happening or, or looking like happening? Yeah, so we have a couple of projects in that space. What I'm thinking about is, uh, in particular, voice bots. Um, so <clears throat> you're, you're calling to buy a ticket to the game, um, and uh, depending on how you say, I want to buy a ticket to the game, um, there's actually many things that can happen. Uh, so if you, if, you, if you speak normally, you say, hi, I'd like to buy a ticket, 
uh, then maybe you, you have normal, you're uh, assigned to the normal uh, dialogue flow. But uh, if instead you speak um, in, in, with a very high speech rate, without any pauses, um, and with a tone that is slightly irritated, uh, you say, um, I don't know, uh, ticket game now. <laughs> uh, and I was, you know, slightly irritated. I'm not sure if that's a good example. But then you might, you may, might be assigned to a different queue. Um, you might be given higher prior, priority if, you're going, if your case is going to be handled by a human agent. Um, or th there will be less questions asked and more things guessed in the, in the ticket reservation, t ticket booking or purchase process. Uh, because we've identified that you, you don't have tons of time and you want things to go fast. Whereas if you, if you sound like um, delighted, if you sound like you have tons of time, um, then maybe more questions will be asked because, and then we'll be able to personalize the experience more. So we have a couple of projects uh, in that space, nothing in production yet, uh, but uh, a couple of projects on the personalization of voice bots and conversational agents to, to the tone of the conversation. I can see that being useful, Dustin. You know, if you hear someone you know, who's fuming, being able to just, sometimes rather than even handle it, just escalate it, you know, or, or you know, if you hear someone who is unhappy about whatever, then maybe the tone of the, the bot can adjust and kind of try and be a little bit more gentler or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, like you were mentioning earlier, right, uh, Nico, the, the, um, what you're saying is only a very small part. And so you're missing out a lot if you're not taking advantage of how you're saying it. Mm. Absolutely. I'm curious about how you, so you mentioned like in that conversation when you're listening, when you're monitoring, when you're trying to determine, you know, the, the, the kind of emotional state, if you like, of someone, what what are you actually listening out, listening out for? You've said tone a few times, you've said intonation a few times, like what is it that you actually try to quantify within that signal that will give you the signals that, that this person's angry or this person's happy or whatever? What, what are the kind of characteristics that you're listening out for? Um, what are the characteristics that you're listening out for when you, when you try and make um, an idea for yourself of how someone is feeling? Good question. Let's take it in turns. Right. We'll quick fire. I'll go first, Dustin, then you go. And then we'll go, right? So I'm listening for pitch. Oh, I'm sure oh, we're, we're going really lightning. That was, yeah, that was, that was supposed to be lightning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now I've got our track. Remind me of the question again. So, so the question is, what characteristics are you trying to listen out for that will allow you to determine determine what kind of uh, either emotional state or what sentiment the, the user has? The reason I said pitch is because if someone's speaking really highly, high pitch, they might be quite excited and animated, whereas if they're speaking low pitch, they might be talking from the you know the back of the throat and mumbling and groaning and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. and no, I definitely say volume. Volume's an easy one, right? Mm -hmm. Volume is relative, though. It's, uh, it's volume so perceived oh. from uh, at a given distance, so it's, it's the sound energy. But, you, but in fact, you're right. Both what about the correct. velocity? Is that a... Yeah, you, you might be very, very angry and speak really fast, so you just might be a fast speaker, for example. And all of these are good 
there are proxies, we call them correlates, to understanding uh, latent speaker states or how someone feels. Um, however, the, the, the reason why it's not very easy to say, for you to say, oh, that's what I, that's what I pay attention to, um, to understand uh, the emotion, the, 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 how someone feels, is because um, it has to do with, it's, it's a feeling, right? And it's, there's no hard and fast rule as to how to say how someone feels. And uh, I'll use an example. Um, if I if I want to ca to characterize a cat, for example, from a bird, I'll say, well, the cat has four legs. He has uh, hair, and uh, it's uh, it's about this small. Whereas a bird has uh, two legs and wings in general, uh, and it looks very different. Um, so I can do this, and I can I can build a rule based system that's a cat versus bird. Um, um, uh, classifier, for example, and then I show it to Giraffe, and he says, "Oh, that's a cat." I'm very sure, for example, because you you, you can't you can't plan uh, for all of the the possible universe of observations. However, there's another way. There's another way to capture uh, to classify whether a cat is actually a cat, um, and is to is to capture the catness. Yeah, I'm making up a word now. The catness of, of an, an animal, the birdness um, of, an, of an observation. Um, and this is what um, modern AI systems allow, allow us to do. Instead of defining rules, heuristics, uh, like we used to do, and like we used to do up until recently, in fact, to, to get an idea of uh, emotions, which were based, for example, on pitch, but also is especially the variation of the pitch in a, in a person's voice. Um, now, uh, the, these features, these properties are learned directly by a neural network, which if it's exposed to enough data, will form a good picture of the catness of a conversation or the happiness, the angryness of, a, of, of, of someone from their voice. And over time, this, this system is going to, be, to become better as you feed it more data. Um, and it, it does function as a black box because th that's deep learning in the end. It, it's millions and millions, actually hundreds of millions sometimes of parameters um, that you tune with, uh, with, with, with more data, labeled data especially. However, over time, um, you, you lose the, the connection with what exactly it is using uh, the properties of the of the voice or the cat the animal um, to characterize the animal the type of animal or the emotion in the voice um, but you gain in accuracy so that's what we do interesting so you don't try and say this person is definitely happy this person is definitely sad this person is definitely angry you just look for enough signals that point you in the right direction at the beginning is that right Yes, um, we we train uh, models uh, by, by giving them lots of data that is labeled, and so we have what is, to my knowledge, the largest high quality label data set of emotional utterances in the world, um, which is something that is part of our deal licensing deal with SRI International, with over a hundred thousand carefully annotated. Um, utterances by so annotated by humans. Um, a, p a person speaks in a given voice uh, with a given emotion, and then there's three annotators that have to agree on what the emotion is like. Um, and and so what what the neural network learns to do is to associate some properties uh, the the 
something in this in the in the sound to that label without you having to explicitly define what it is in that sample that actually that you should call happy so it's the same thing as not having to say well a cat has four legs and a bird has two it's more well that's a cat and that's a bird so that's happy and that's sad and if you show the the, the network enough examples of happy and sad over time is going to form a good generic representation of happiness and sadness Wow, interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier on that you started off in the contact center and then you discovered other use cases beyond that. And tell us a little bit about those other use cases. Absolutely. So we we sort of we grew out of the call center. Many of our customers are still in the in the, uh, are in the, the call center space, and that's something that's quite interesting. We also realized that it's a it's a complicated space to be in because mostly because of uh, technical uh, difficulties. So basically, if you want to integrate with a a call center, you have to be to make sure that your stack is compatible with theirs, and there's uh, uh, quite a high fragmentation in in telephone systems um, so in order to build a to do a project with a new customer often you have to understand what is their stack the version of it etc and build a connector for them um, so we said okay wait, wait it's easier if we build something that people that is very easy to integrate uh, into a new system and people will connect to it so we, instead of uh, instead of connecting to an API um, uh, at a customer's or, or on a customer's in a customer's infrastructure, we built our own API to allow people to connect to it. And then we realized that it wasn't specific to call centers. Um, quite early on, we had some traction in, in healthcare, and one of our customers um, is uh, is a company in Germany that is uh, that is predicting the early onset of Alzheimer's disease uh, based on based on speech. Um, it's not even the the presence uh, of Alzheimer's disease. It is the onset up to five ten years. They can predict with a high accuracy if uh, the disease will develop in five to ten years based on many things, um, including how, how someone speaks, uh, the, micro, the dynamics of micro pauses, micro stutters uh, in the speech, uh, the tremor sometimes in, in their voice, and all these um, properties are things we capture that are accurately um, transcribed into this feature space, so many numbers, uh, many times per second, um, and so they're numerically captured, and they can be, then be injected into another uh, modeling pipeline, another stack, uh, in order to make a decision, is this person, is this patient at risk of, de of developing a disease? So this is one example. And we had examples, we, we, we have applications today with, um, so virtual private assistance, um, robotics, social robotics companies, um, and, and so basically anything that has voice, any system that has voice, and, and uh, which would benefit from the mediation of a, um, what we call, an, what I call an empathy layer in the, in the middle to improve the, the communication either between humans or between the human and the machine. Interesting. That's a good way of putting it. A nice way of um, a nice way of thinking about that. It's you mentioned that the um, another use case was around gaming and content moderation, which yeah. sounds we've been speaking about Clubhouse at the uh, at the outset. And if anyone is uh, on Clubhouse, feel free to join us after this. We'll be doing a, a kind of follow up session over there. Um, but you mentioned that the, there's there's applications around 
kind of moderation, content moderation, and, and things like that? How how does that tend to work? Yeah, this is this is really big, and it's perhaps the the thing I'm most excited about at the at the moment. So, <clears throat> as you heard it right, voice is is booming. Um, and and people converse uh, vocally more and more, uh, including in online communities, including in, in online games. Um, what I didn't know is that people are not always very nice to each other on uh, in in games. And well, to the point where it's not actually not funny. There are people who are total. Um, uh, totally not nice. I was going to say something different uh, <laughs> to other people, and that's a big problem. So if you have a problem with abusive behavior, harassment uh, in a community, then as as a game publisher, you have to do something about it. Um, in fact, in more more than half of uh, competitive games, um, in a I think it's Overwatch. I'm not entirely sure. In a large uh, game that is quite quite popular at the moment, more than half of the games lead to a complaint, lead to a report by a player who says, well, I've been harassed, I've been abused in that game. And so when this happens, uh, there's someone who needs to review that conversation to understand if and when there was something that was abusive, that was, that was uh, toxic, um, and then what to do. If it's just maybe a, a ban for a few hours, if it's, uh, if it's bad enough that a person should, should be suspended, or even worse. Um, and that is something that is extremely hard to do because first, it's a ton of data. There are billions of hours of, uh, of uh, audio that go through the pipes of a, of a large gaming company that we work with um, every month. Um, and and that's, not, that's not data that, that is easy to sift through. Uh, and this is what we've built a pipeline for, essentially. So tons of audio, but also the behaviors you're looking for um, are often hard or impossible to capture with ASR, with, with speech-to-text, because it could be screaming, it could be kids screaming on a game. Um, and that's not something that you can easily transcribe. Um, and in addition, we can do on-device processing. So if needed, we can embed the, uh, if you're playing on your, on your mobile phone, for example, we have an SDK, a software development kit that you can embed directly in a, in a mobile app so that the audio never leaves the, the device. It is processed on the device. Um, and then if there's a toxicity alert, for example, if someone is being aggressive, abusive, uh, then you'll have something that pops up on the device and says, for example, mute for five minutes or or suspend for three hours, etc. Um, and we've we've realized that this use case uh, is is really big. Also, that it's it's a problem for it's, it is a societal problem. Um, we want the internet to be a safe place for everyone. We want people to uh, to be able to express themselves. We don't want people to be harassed for who they are, what they say, etc. Um, however, it's a it's a thing that's really hard to make happen. And I believe that with technology, we can help to make the internet a safer and a healthier place for everyone. So that's why I'm excited about uh, this this use case. It's mm. interesting. The um, yeah, I think I think Clubhouse had some problems with um, abuse and things like that, and you know, various people joining rooms and kicking off and this that, and the other. So I think that something like this, especially when you're dealing with you know younger like kids and stuff like that who are just kind of having mm -hmm. fun or whatever, and then all of a sudden there's harassment and all this kind of stuff. It's not a it's not a good uh, not a good call. Um, when you kind of had me thinking of something there when you were talking about working on the edge, being able to run on device and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
and I was thinking about in the in the voice assistant space, whether it's the you know a smart speaker or a phone call that's made or any kind of where any place there's an automated conversation happening, you've got potential for a tool like this, which is the the speech, uh, the sentiment analysis and stuff like that, detected emotion and things like that. You inevitably have to have some kind of NLU in there to determine what it is that people are actually mm-hmm. wanting from you. And there's different versions of that. There's the ones that you kind of explained that Amazon and Google provide, which is speech recognition translated into text, running through NLU. There's also other technologies that like your likes of ReadSpeaker have, which pretty much run the NLU on the audio. Mm-hmm. Um, they might do speech, the text-to-speech as a backup, but it's the predominant kind of intent detection is just running from the audio. But then you've got other, other potential in there, which is maybe you've got kind Kind of biometrics and, and authentication mm-hmm. and that's another question that we have coming up which will be around the differences or similarities between those two things um but it but, but because there's so much data in audio there's so much data in spoken words and spoken language a lot of which we've covered in this chat is there a potential for there to be you know a lot of processing power a lot of delay a lot of lag in the interaction when you start coupling all this stuff together or is auto almost unnoticeable in terms of latency and and, and power and, and time it takes to to process this kind of stuff and that's something that uh, so yes audio is um a significant or produces a significant amount of data if you think of um audio that is uh, encoded on 16 bits so two bytes 16,000 times per second, that's pretty standard. Uh, that is still 32 kilobytes per second. So it is quite some information. And uh, if you don't process it fast enough, uh, you know, it keeps accumulating. So that's something that you have to do fast. And so we, we've built our systems to be uh, designed for real-time processing, uh, but also over time and using this uh, end-to-end deep learning platform or techniques that I was uh, referring to earlier, we've also made sure that they are really, really fast. So on, um, on a standard uh, laptop, uh, consumer laptop, you can process audio using negligible power, so at hundreds of times real-time speed, which means that if you were to do a real-time uh, processing, um, if, you were, if you were to run real-time processing, you'd use less than 1% of your, of your CPU. You can do this on, on larger, like beefier uh, data center uh, hardware. You can do this potentially at thousands of streams on a, on a single machine. And also, if you're doing this on your phone, uh, you can run the audio processing with negligible draw on the, on the, on the battery. And you can do this on the side while, while you're running another app. So you could have a game, for example, that is, that is drawing lots of power, um, and the auto SDK in the background that processes what is being said uh, and might raise a toxicity alert, for example, uh, but that has a very negligible power consumption. And that's something that we optimize for early on, and we're happy today that it's, 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 it works well and it's quite fast. So the order of magnitude is that it, it depends, and there's many different ASR systems, but typically it takes 10 to 100 times less compute power uh, to do feature extraction, so the, the deep tone biomarker extraction that we do, compared to traditional ASR. Interesting. It's pretty quick. <laughs> Very. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so maybe I, I know we only have a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay. I'm not going to say 
Yeah, absolutely. So I know we only have a, a handful of um, minutes left, but let's. One of the things that we always like to ask about is is stats, and you you brought up a few of them. But let's say that we're a company, uh, let's say a call center, especially, and we wanted to integrate your um, your technology. What kind of lift or what kind of impact, and and even what metrics should we be looking at when it comes to this kind of technology? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing, there's there's lots of things you can do, and I would we always say we we advise our customers to start with the simplest things. Um, so I would advise them to first try our demo. We have an interactive demo at demo.auto.ai, which they can try, and then they can register for free trial of the API. Basically, so that they, they will take some of their uh, recorded conversations, their calls, and then throw it into our system. They don't have to install anything. It runs on our, on our end. Um, and then they, they will get insights back. And we advise looking at things that, that are quite simple, really, but sort of uh, speech time that's super important. How much uh, the agent speaks versus the customer, um, what is the dynamics of the of the interaction? How many music breaks there are, or music holds? Because if someone is being put on hold for three or four times, that's something that you you'll hear in the in the recording of, of the conversation. And correlate this to an important metric for call centers, which is which is AHT, so average handle time. And you'll see that uh, there are some striking patterns uh, in which the very simple metrics like um, uh, like again speech time or the, the dynamics of, of speech agent to customer speech uh, gives you very important insights into how well your, your call center is doing. So that's something that we typically uh, advise our customers to do first. And then as they build more uh, analytics power um, and they get more fami- familiar with the insights, then they can go into the emotions model, the arousal model. So uh, in order to understand how agitated potentially uh, their, their customers are, uh, how engaged their, their agents are, and correlate this with the first metrics that they, they computed to build uh, on a, a stack essentially of of insights. And then even even further, um, so they can train customized models based on our data, on, on our features and their, their data. They might have, NPS is a, is a tricky thing, right? The measure of satisfaction is going to depend um, from customer to customer, from language to language, from context to context. So typically we don't have an, an all-in-one NPS uh, model that wouldn't work. But after a while, when our customers become more familiar with the with the insights, the analytics that they can do uh, derived from our features, then we advise them to build a, a customer satisfaction model and, and to deploy the tone coaching widget um, across the agent population, etc. So sort of start from very simple and then build up in complexity. But uh, often, surprisingly, it is the simplest things uh, that bring a ton of value. I have I have one other question before we wrap up, which is on you. So Otto is able to gather a lot of data, process it very quickly, and draw out a, a whole host of of really valuable insights. And because you've got such an understanding of the spoken audio and and the data that's held within it, what is the differences or similarities in what you're doing to detect kind of emotional states versus what would be needed to be done to actually detect that somebody is who they say they are. Mm. So for example, 
you know, voice authentication, voice biometrics. Is there any similarities with that and what you're doing? Is that something that Otto either can do or will do in future, or, or is it a totally different ballgame? Um, actually, it's very similar. And uh, the deep tone is built on top. So we have these uh, pre-trained models like emotions and arousal and gender. Um, but these are built, these are trained on top of an underlying model, which, will, which we call the identity model. And that's, that's really the core innovation in the, so the, the core intellectual property that we've built. Um, and it's a model, and again, a, a neural network that uh, that tries to derive a, the voice print of a person. So basically what it's going to try and do is there's two samples from Kane's voice. It's going to, to try and, and pull them together and then a sample from Kane's voice and one from Dustin's voice and it will, it will pull them apart. And it does this on millions of samples. And over time it builds a good understanding of what is a voice print, how someone sounds like. And this is, this is what we use, this uh, latent space, sort of, sort of the, this abstract feature space in order to train the other models. But we can tap directly into that underlying model and do biometric applications. So um, uh, speak identification is something that we can do. Uh, but then again, it's, it's, um, it's a problem that is largely solved. Now, it's, it's, uh, it's not as hard as the, as the other problems. Something else that is related is what is called diarization or speaker separation. You have a mono stream um, and there's two speakers on the stream. And knowing who speaks when is actually a difficult problem. Knowing, knowing who speaks when uh, in real time is an even harder problem. And, and we've built our diarization algorithm so to separate the speakers in a way that it can be executed in real time. So lots of, of applications on top of the latent, uh, besides the latent states like emotions, lots of applications that have to do with the identity. So who speaks and who speaks when. Interesting. Yeah, excited to uh, to learn a bit more and roll my sleeves up, Dustin. It sounds like a pretty impressive piece of technology. Yeah, it really does. Seems like you can do a lot with it and make make your voice applications go even further. Absolutely. And so, if you're interested, um, I just encourage you to uh, to look at our website. Uh, we have a demo online again. We have documentation, and we've decided to. Um, adopt a uh, WYSIWYG, so what you see, what you get approach. We we advertise it the way it is. We allow people to try it. And so it is AI, of course. So sometimes it works really well, and there, there are cases in which it won't work as well. But we try not to be too mysterious about this, and we allow people to try it. We allow people to try it for free. Um, and then if they if they find value, then uh, and if, if they want to discuss applications to build on top of, the, of our uh, product, then we're very happy to do this. Cool. Fantastic. Well, Nico, this has been an absolute pleasure. Where can you've mentioned where people can go to try the technology? Where can people kind of follow you online and follow the work that you're that you're doing if they did want to do so? Oh well, there's uh, auto.ai, and then I'm on um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a bit boring in terms of social media. I'm on Twitter, uh, and as of two days ago, thanks to you, Kane, I even joined Clubhouse. Um, <laughs> so I haven't actually used it yet, but I think I'm about to. Indeed, we are about to. We'll hop over to Clubhouse and have a bit of an after after show session. So if you are on Clubhouse, you can follow me at Kane Sims. We'll be kicking off a room in just a moment uh, with Nico. Uh, next week on the podcast, we are talking to Derek Roberti from Cognigy, and we'll be talking about the Cognigy platform uh, and how you can use it to get started with your conversational AI strategy. 
Nicole, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been wicked. Thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you on Clubhouse in a moment or if not, we'll see you next week on, on Thursday night. Thanks, Kane. Thanks, Dustin. And thanks for whoever tuned in.